Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. This is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the week before Jesus was crucified. So we're going to look at that passage uh, this morning in Mark chapter 11, which is also found in Matthew and Luke. So the three Gospels give the account of this incredible story, which is prophetic. So in Mark chapter 1, we read, Now when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And then in verse 7, Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Now another verse that goes with this, in Matthew chapter 21, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the fool, the foal of a donkey. So this is one of the most fascinating prophetic passages that God has preserved for us in his word. This is the most often called the triumphal entry or Palm Sunday as we celebrate it. Now, the Romans would laugh at this whole thing. <laughs> They'd laugh at calling this a triumphal entry because it lacked all the pomp and all the grandeur of a Roman king returning from victory with the spoils and captives of war. So let's pray a moment, ask the Lord to bless the word, and then we'll get into it. Father, we thank you again for your word. And as Peter said, we have the short, more sure word of prophecy that we do well to give heed to as a light that shines in a dark place. And here we have this morning, Palm Sunday, celebrating your triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We have a, the prophetic word that is so profound. So Lord, I pray and ask in Jesus' name that you'd stir our hearts again to who you are and how powerful your word is and how much we need the Holy Spirit to, to continue to empower us and enable us to grasp truth, to remember truth, and to rejoice in the truth. So please, Lord, Bless this time in the word, the things I prepared. Break them fresh that we may receive from you. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We're looking to you to write on our hearts these truths. They find good soil. We bring forth fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. That's up to you, Lord. We want to be sowing into good soil in our hearts. So bless now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, so make no mistake about it. No king can compare to the king of kings, no king can compare to my king, Jesus. The king, big K, of kings, little K, in fact, I would say a really little K, the king of kings, is the king who rules over all things. He's the king who rules everywhere and for all time. Jesus reigns eternity past, time present, and forever. Now, Isaiah put it this way, Isaiah 9, 7. Of the increase of his, capital H, that is Jesus, the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So as we look at Behold, the King is Coming this morning, there are three things that I want to start out with, and we'll just go back to these as our outline. Number one, the king came prepared, verses one through six. Secondly, the king, who is Jesus, 
came to be presented. And we're going to then go over to Daniel chapter 9 and see the king came as predicted. So behold, the king is coming. Your king is coming. And that was present for them at, in Jerusalem at that time. The king came prepared. So in verse 1, when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples. So they come near Jerusalem, and here Jesus and the disciples are on their way to Jerusalem to keep the Passover. The last, this last week before his crucifixion, though, Jesus never spent the night in Jerusalem. They are most likely to be staying at the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And at the same time, there was a plot going on about killing Lazarus because Jesus had raised him from the dead. So many in this situation would get their hotels in Bethany or Bethphage, travel into Jerusalem. It's kind of like going to SeaTac and getting your room and then travel to your meetings. Well, that's what, that's what we have here. It's this commuting into Jerusalem and then at night coming back out. So due to the Passover celebration, Jerusalem was stuffed. <laughs> Jerusalem was busting at the seams. All able-bodied male Jews were to be in Jerusalem for this feast. The population swelled to three and four times larger than it would normally already be crowded with. The Roman armies swelled. There was a great potential for conflict, a great potential for a zealot uprising during these times. So Jerusalem is full of not only excitement and celebration, but also a lot of tension. So he sent two of his disciples, probably Peter and John, to prepare things for him. And then verse 2 it says, And he said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it here. So go into the village. Now know this, wherever God sends you, wherever he sends me, he will always, he knows everything that's going to happen during that on the way and all through it. God is with us, and he knows all the things that we're going to encounter, and he himself knows those things. He's prepared us for a certain, uh, something he wants us to do. And as we go, we can know that God is, if he sends us, he's already prepared us to be there. In Acts chapter 8, when the angel of the Lord was telling, was talking and saying to Philip, you go down to Gaza. Now that's all he told him. He said, go to Gaza. So what did Philip do? He took the first step and went. And as he went, more of the, more of what what was, he was to be doing was, was revealed to him. But it was step by step. And a lot of times, we're, we're, the first step leads to the next step. I look at it, even my own experience in ministry, it was one opportunity that opened the door, I went through the door, and the next opportunity came. That's in ministry. But is it not also true in life? You know, we made decisions all along the way, and we can look back and see how the Lord ordered we plan our way, but the Lord directs our steps. It's fascinating. It's great. It's wonderful. Uh, so with that, as, as these disciples are being given this, these uh, commandments by Jesus, he tells them exactly what's going to happen. And that, to me, is really cool. He just knows, and he tells the disciples, hey, when you go there and they say this, tell them that. It'll all work out. So this interesting part in verse 3, say the Lord has need of it. It seems contradictory that the Lord has need. But God chooses to work in partnership 
with us. He chooses to accomplish his will through partnering with us to do the things he's told us to do. In a sense, he's limited himself to work in partnership with you and for me. In working out our salvation. Working out with fear and trembling for it's God who works in us. That's in Philippians chapter 2. In raising our families. It's a partnership with God. Yes, I want my children to grow up loving God. And so I've got a partnership with God in giving to them the things of their life to train them up in the admonition of the Lord. In, in stewarding our material things, God wants to work with us as we're going about to steward our money, steward our finances, steward the things of our jobs and all those things. God is in partnership with us. He gives to us all things and then he helps us to order our steps and order our doings according to what we know about him and his principles. He's, now here's a, here's a really powerful one. He wants to partner with us in reaching the world with the gospel. In reaching the world for the things of the gospel. And so how are they going to ever hear unless someone's sent? So we looked at this last week. We are sent by the Holy Spirit through the things in our lives, through our spheres of influence. We're sent to bring the gospel. The, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel, who bring glad tidings. So God's partnership with us in declaring the gospel Partnership with us in bringing many souls to salvation. The Lord has need in that sense. He wants to partner with us. He set it up that way. Now, it says also, he will send it here. Immediately, he will send it here. Now, that means when the Lord is done, he will immediately send it back. Now, know this. Whenever we're partnering with God, whenever we're doing the things of God, we will never be his debtor. He will bring back into our lives a great, reward in that a great uh, multiplying out of his work in our hearts as we give Jesus put it this way Luke chapter 6 and verse 38 give and it will be given to you good measure pressed down shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom for with the same measure that you use it it will be measured back to you God will never be our debtor when we, when we go out and work, lay with him, he is going to make that fruitful. As Jesus said, abide in me and you will be fruitful. You'll bear much fruit. You'll bear fruit that lasts. That's what God's doing as we partner with him. So verse 4. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street. And they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to him, now this is fascinating, because here they go do it, and just like Jesus told them, if they ask you, well, here they ask him, what are you doing, loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded, so they let them go. They went, they found, they loosed, they spoke, and they let them go. So this whole thing that Jesus said, hey, go and do these things, and then as you just follow my instructions, you're going to find this is going to happen, and they're going to do exactly what you're asking them. And so it's really important that we try and understand and do exactly what God has, has called us to do, but also to make sure that we're tuned into what God has said according to his word. So that's an important note. Now, Jesus here, here's where we're going with this. He's deliberately preparing for something that's coming up, deliberately. Until now, Jesus did not allow this, this proclaiming him to be Messiah happen. He kept his messiahship veiled. In fact, he would, he would many times slip out of the crowds. He forbid the, no, the, the noising about of who he is as messiah. He commanded disciples to keep, keep quiet about the Mount of, Mount of Transfiguration for one thing, but he kept that 
sort of capped so that it wasn't getting out yet. Again and again, he would escape the crowd, slip out of there. So now he is intentionally, deliberately preparing for something that's coming on this day at this feast of the Passover. Now, so the question is, why now for this? The unveiling of his Messiahship. Jesus did speak of the hour that was coming concerning his crucifixion. Of that, he, kept, he made that very clear to his disciples. In John chapter 17, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven. This is the great priestly prayer. Lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. Jesus knew now the hour had come for his crucifixion. But note, this is not that hour. What's going on here is before that ever happened. So Jesus is preparing for something that's coming up. So the king, number one, the king came prepared and to prepare. Secondly, the king came to be presented. And that's what we're going to get now in verses 7 through 11. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, or save now, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king, the king of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So they've been in Jerusalem. He has this whole entrance in, this whole presentation, this whole proclaiming. And now at the appointed time, he's saying, I am Messiah. He's declaring to them unequivocally, to the Jews, their Messiah was their king. Jesus, riding into Jerusalem, proclaimed himself to be Messiah and king. Look at Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, prophetic. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Psalm 118 is another very well-known passage that's prophetic of the Messiah. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. So Psalm 118, when Jesus came riding in on the donkey and the crowds began to shout Psalm 118, they knew that Jesus was proclaiming himself to be their Messiah. If there was any doubt about this, that that's what was going on, the Pharisees cleared it up for us in Luke chapter 19. And some of the Pharisees called him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you, that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. This crying out of the people was prophetic, and it was as Jesus presented himself as Messiah and King. No question about that. Very clear. The Jews were exactly right. Those who said, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now, save now. What they were uh, now uh, uh, acknowledging Jesus, who he is, he is Messiah and he is King. And they were expecting him to come as he did on the donkey. So what kind of king is he? He is a king riding on a donkey. A king of peace. A king with great humility, riding lowly. No great pomp, no great pageantry, no royal chariots, no sounding trumpets. It's a king who made himself available 
right within the, right within the people of God or the people of Jerusalem there. The Jews, he was available to them all the time. In fact, Jesus said this, and, and you know this, come to me all you who labor and I am heavy laden. See, he was so available for people. He said, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am lo- gentle and lowly in heart, humble, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He is a king of tremendous humility, a king of peace. He's also a king of patience, of, of great power, but meekness. And meekness means power under control. He is a king of great patience. He had no visible forces right now, none to be seen. The crowds were spreading their garments, not donning their armor. His forces were not legions of threatening soldiers, but a meager crowd singing, pil- singing pilgrims saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. The Roman soldiers probably chuckled at the sight. The soldiers of his army, Jesus, began with 12 men, began with 12 ragtag people, <laughs> kind of like David's mighty men, where it says they were in distress, they were in debt, and they were discontented, gathered to David and became his mighty men. And God chose these 12 men, fishermen, who were ridiculed on many fronts because of their lack of this or lack of that, their foolishness here, their foolish. But with what began with 12 and went down to 11, then Paul the apostle came along. Those 12 ruined all the plans of so many as far as the world itself and the worldly systems. And he triumphed over them, through them, leading to the church and us. So he told his disciples, put your swords away. Something's coming before that will happen. He conquered not by threats. He conquered not by intimidation, not by fear, but by a love that's more powerful than all the armies that ever existed in all the world. He came as the king of peace, the king of patience, the meekness and humility displayed in his earthly life. Now, he will be coming again as the king of war. And we know that from the scriptures. Not on a donkey, but he's going to come back on a horse. And he's going to come back as the king who is the judge. And at that time, Revelation tells us he's on a white horse. In righteousness, he judges and makes war. And he has on his robe and his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so the question that this arises for us, For you, maybe that you don't know him. You haven't bowed your knee to the king of kings. Are you going to do that? And if so, when? Why not right now? Why not consider again your need for a savior, your need for Messiah, your need to say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes, your need for the the king of peace in your life, that you would know the peace of God and by knowing the peace, having peace with God, that you would know the patience of God, how he's, bore with you so long in your life, never judged, never took you out. He's given you, he's not willing that any should perish. That includes you. But that you should come to repentance by putting your faith in Christ, confessing your sin to him. And so when are you going to do that? When will you accept the gospel of peace by obeying it in repentance and putting your faith in Jesus Christ? Let me tell you, you will find him to be exactly who he was when he came to die on a cross. The God of peace the God of patience, the God of meekness, all captured in he is the God of love who sent his son to die on a cross for you.
to save you from your sins and to demonstrate just how much he loves you. And so the king came with tears in his eye. And so as Jesus making his way, he's a king of compassion. Luke 19 tells us this. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it on his way in. He sees the city and weeps over it. The things that were to come upon his own people. The things are going to be happening because he's being presented now and proclaimed as king and messiah. But it will be very shortly where he's going to be crucified as a common criminal. So in Luke chapter 23, we read this. And a great multitude of the people followed him, and women who also mourned and lamented him. He's going to the cross. But he, Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed, the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren wombs that never bore and breasts which never nursed. Jesus, in looking as he's going to the cross, in that terrible agony, he stops and he says, don't weep for me. That's love. That's love demonstrated. That, my friends, is incredible. That's why he's a king who was rejected. He was a king who was despised. He's the king of the cross. The king on the cross. And there that same crowd, less than four, four days earlier, now that same crowd is crucifying him and calling out, crucify him, crucify him. Now, we still haven't answered the question of why now is he doing this presentation? You see, and here we go to Daniel chapter 9. The king came as predicted. So in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, in order to understand why now, this is the passage among others that it, it also is attached to. See, what, some, what Alexander McLaren said is, he was a king who dressed himself in the mirror of prophecy. I love that. The prophetic word now shining as a light for us to take heart in and to understand what God did for us from the foundation of the world. This is a deliberate, calculated, intentional plan that's going on. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He waited for that time, for that day actually, to ride into Jerusalem on that donkey and be declared as the king unequaled and unparalleled, this passage in Daniel is so incredible, this prophetic significance of it. The king who the whole Bible predicts and proclaims is Jesus Christ, clearly. Hebrews chapter 7, Jesus said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. I've come in the volume of the book, it's written of me. So the Bible is the picture and the prophetic picture of, a Jesus, of Jesus Christ, our Messiah and our King. Praise the Lord. We're celebrating that in this, in this time right now. Good Friday's coming up where we'll, where we'll be you know, just remembering what Jesus did on the cross. And then Easter next week, where we'll be celebrating, how are you not celebrating? The resurrection from the dead. The resurrection of the body. So now we go to the prophetic word in Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of King, uh, in, the, in the first year of his reign, that's Darius, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet. That he, and that's in Jeremiah chapter 25. That he would accomplish, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So Jeremiah prophesied there's going to be 70 years that were going to transpire. That's a long time. 
I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. So Daniel's wondering. He's, he knows his Bible. He knows seven years are coming. So he goes to pray and ask. So God sends Gabriel, Gabriel to answer Daniel. Now, it's far more than he, was, he understood he was even asking. He lays out for Daniel what the future holds for the nation Israel and through them, really, for the world. This is the scope of the prophecy. Now, verse 24 in Daniel 9. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. So that word weeks that word is, is sevens. So 77s are determined, notice, for your people and for your holy city. So the two things here are the Jews and Jerusalem. Verse uh, 24, again, we have six things in, in, chap, in verse 24, which, we, which we're, I would argue are three are accomplished in his first coming, and three will be accomplished in his second coming. So in Daniel chapter 9, 24, number one, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, and that speaks to the cross, to make reconciliation for iniquity, the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. In chapter 9, again, verse 24. Now, here's the next three things. To bring in everlasting righteousness. Now, do we have everlasting righteousness on the earth right now? To seal up vision and prophecy. Are all the visions and all the prophecies fulfilled? To anoint the most holy. That is Jesus. Has those, have those things happened? Not yet, but let me tell you, they will be. So, verse 25 gives us the first 69 sevens of the 70 sevens. And it says, Knowing therefore, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. So when did the command go forth? Now there's a book called The Coming Prince, classic, old. You can, you can get it on Amazon. It's, it was by a Sir Robert Anderson. Here's what he says. Well, I'm compiling the things the book says. In 445 B.C., under Artaxerxes, this command went to Nehemiah. Now, there were other commands, but they were not for the temple. They were for the temple, not for the city. This is to the city and to the Jews. 69, first 69 sevens, times 360 days, which is a lunar calendar, equals 173,880 days. So 173,880 days after the command, the Messiah would be revealed. So in 445 B.C., under Artaxerxes to Nehemiah, these commands were given for, this, for, the, for the, the city. Gabriel is revealing the exact day the Messiah would be revealed. Now this is so fascinating to me and so incredible. On that exact day, guess who wrote in? Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that exact day. Now, verse 26 gives us the gap between the first 69 sevens and the 70th seven. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until, until the end of the war desolations are determined. So Messiah shall be cut off. And then, this is, again, compiling the things from the book. Sometime between the 69th and 70th week, there, 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 would, there would be an execution. Then the city is to be destroyed. That happened in 70 AD by Titus, the Roman commander. So sometime between that 69th and the 70th, 
There's this execution that takes place. It, the city was destroyed. So 70 is a marker, 70 AD. That's when the Jerusalem, what, Jesus, what the Daniel was given by Gabriel. So the temple in that, at that time was accidentally set on fire. The gold melted. It was taken apart stone by stone, just as Jesus also predicted. We find that prediction in Mark chapter 13. In Mark 13, we read, Then he went out of the temple. One of the disciples said to him, Teacher, do we have that? Can we get that up? Teacher, we don't have that. Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. That's also, that's in Mark chapter 13. So, 173,880 days after the command the Messiah would be revealed and then killed, crucified before 70 AD. Do we have a candidate? We certainly do. Jesus is who it is. And so as he's going to the cross, he weeps over Jerusalem knowing these things. In Luke chapter 19, verse 41, now as he drew near, he saw the city, wept over it, saying, if you had known even you, especially in notice, this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. And it goes on in verse 43, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Matthew picks up the same, these same prophetic lines. Jesus said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Palm Sunday, he's saying these, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Psalm 118 now, another important tie to Daniel chapter 29, 24. He's, in Psalm 118, I will praise you for you have answered me and notice have become my salvation. Notice the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. So the stone was rejected. This is taken up in the New Testament. It's Jesus. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Now we sing this song. This is the day. This is. But here, what he's saying is, this is the day the Lord has made. We rejoice and be glad in it. That day, the exact day that God, that Gabriel told Daniel, 172,880 days, that exact day Jesus rode in Jerusalem. This is the day that the Lord has made. We rejoice and be glad in it. Verse 24. Five. save now hosanna hosanna it's incredible save now i pray O lord O lord i pray send now prosperity blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord we have blessed you from the house of the lord god is the lord and he has given us light bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar you are my god and i will praise you you are my god i will exalt you oh it's fantastic it's fantastic jesus only weeps over jerusalem knowing what's coming prophetically fulfilling it, the first, his first. But then Jesus, re, Jesus rebukes the Pharisees, an important part. He says, some of the Pharisees called him from the crowd, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Here's the, the confirming that exactly what was going on here. They were, they were saying he's Messiah. He's the king. This, the Pharisees hated him for that. They hated, they didn't want him as that. 
And so verse 40, but he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. As he's riding in on that exact day that God prophesied would happen. Jesus is holding these Pharisees accountable. They should have known. They should have recognized it. And brothers and sisters, is it not so fantastic? We can look back now in hindsight and realize the God who we love, the God who we serve, so loved us that he gave the plan ahead of time so that we would know among many other places in the Bible, we would know and identify who is the Messiah, who is the King, who is the Savior, who's the promised seed of Abraham, who's the one who came as the Lamb, the suffering for our sin on the cross and dying, who is that? It's none other than our King. Your King is coming. He's coming, he's coming, and may he continue to come into our hearts in the same way. So Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, it takes us into the coming great tribulation, even past our lives here. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of that of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wings of abomination shall be one who makes a desolate, the Antichrist, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. Now, in my mind, these three things, he came prepared, he came to be presented, he came as predicted. These should change our whole perspective on God's plan for us. His desire for us, what he accomplished for us to make that known to us so clearly. And let me say it very simply, it's Jesus. We can fix our eyes on the King of Kings Fix our eyes on Jesus, knowing he is the author and finisher of our faith. He has things that he's going to do in our life in preparing us and then doing the whole thing of presenting us to the Father by his blood, cleansed and washed. He's able to present us faultless before the, glory, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy in the book of Jude. And he, he will fulfill what he has prophesied about his plans for a coming kingdom for us. And so I want to close with a video that maybe many of you have seen. It's called My King. And this video was, by, was preached by Reverend Dr. Lockridge. And he was the pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in San Diego from 1953. That was the year I was born to 1993. He died in 2000. This has gone out viral in many ways. Many of you have probably seen it. I think we've shown it here at least once in our sanctuary here. It's fantastic. And what I'm hoping is that as you, as you hear this, I hope it re-inspires you in the majesty of Jesus the King. That you behold the majesty of who he is. And this is just a little part of many other things that, that this man packed into this sermon. And it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He is the king of kings. He is the king of glory. He's my king. And if you've received him as your king, that means you've received him first as your Messiah. You've received him as your savior. And so let's watch this. Let this sink in a little more this morning. And then I'll pray and we'll close our time. I wonder if you know him. Don't try to mislead me. Do you know my king? The Bible says he's a king of the Jews. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. Now that's my king. 
Well, no barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. No means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his solar supply. Well, he's enduringly strong. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. And he's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's a centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's preeminent. Well, he's the loftiest idea in literature. He's a fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good. He's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? Do you know my king? Well, my king is a king of knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a gateway of glory. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Do you know him? Well, he's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. I'm coming to tell you, the heavens of heaven cannot contain him, let alone a man explaining him. You can't get him out of your mouth. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, Pharisees couldn't stand him. But they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. He always has been. And he always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor. And he'll have no successor. There was nobody before him, and there'll be nobody after him. You can't even keep him, and he's not going to resign. That's my king. Yeah! Do you know him? He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the populace. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of Lords. That's my king. Yeah.
Wow. <laughs> just, you just want to bow before him, don't you? Realize he is so majestic and so mighty and so powerful and yet so tender and gentle and so loving. All in perfection for us. All in his perfections for us and toward us. And so we love him. I'd like to bow my head and pray if you pray with me right now. And then I want to encourage you to be praying. In fact, there are, there are those that are with us that are monitoring the live chat right now. And they'd love to hear from you. In so doing, you can either type in your prayer request if you'd like to. Or you, if you, you can type in, I need a prayer and someone will get a hold of you. Additionally, you can go to ccskent.org forward slash prayer. And there we have it's all set up with forms. We can take your prayers. We want to continue to be a praying church. Even though we're apart right now, we can pray for one another, and you can be praying in your home together. I'm going to pray here. It's fantastic what prayer does in our lives as we just bow our heads before this great king, our mighty King Jesus, and say, Lord, please. So let me pray in closing our time today. Jesus, we bow before you. <laughs> we bow before you. In all your love and all your majesty. In the ways that you've loved us and kept us. In the ways that you've been patient with us. And, and walked along roads that we didn't even know you were there. And so, Father, we bow before you. Our king has come. And our king is coming. And how we want to just bow as your subjects. And bow in being obedient and following directives our, of our commander. And then trust in you as our great shepherd, our good shepherd, our chief shepherd, who alone is worthy. And we bow, Lord, before you in our hearts right now and say, thank you. Hosanna, come quickly again, Lord. And until that time, we pray we would be continuing to immerse ourselves in who you are. That you would transform and change our lives, transform and change our thinking, transform and change the way in which we do things and go about life. Please, Lord. Bless, I pray now, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. So again, God bless you. I hope you'll take a little time to pray with each other in your house. Have a great Palm Sunday.